All right, well, we are in Micah chapter 3. Well, a couple weeks ago, I mentioned how when I was a little kid, I would sneak up at night. So I would turn on Rocky and Bullwinkle. And the only reason I watched Rocky and Bullwinkle was for one reason only. And said I could see Mr. Peabody jump in that time machine and go back to some historical time frame and watch them mess up history. And I was just so fascinated by that. Well, we're doing the same thing here this morning. We are jumping in our time machine. And we are going back to 720 B.C., centuries and centuries ago. And by way of recap, remember that that time frame is not so different from us. With the separation of Judah and Israel, the multiple cultures, the government and the rulers and those that are in authority taking advantage and ripping off the people, people doing what's right in their own eyes like it was in the book of Judges, having idols at home and going to the temple, just a really convoluted time frame. And remember, with Micah, this prophet, we have this cycle where he talks about the judgment of God and the righteousness of God, and then he talks about the deliverance of God. And we just finished one cycle, and now we're going to start another in chapter 3. We're going to be talking about judgment on the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. Well, let's go before the Lord in prayer, and we're going to pick up in verses 1 through 3. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your righteousness, for your purity, for your justice. And we pray, Lord, that as we are in this scripture today, that we would apply it to our own lives and our own hearts, that you would use us in this world that is not so different from that one. We thank you in advance for the word that you'll be sharing with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read verses 1 through 3. And I said, Hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate good and love evil, who strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin from them, break their bones and chop them in pieces and like meat for the pot, like flesh in the cauldron? Then they will... No, that one, save that one for later, verse 3. But isn't that the way you want to start a prophecy? I mean, that's pretty rough. What is he talking about, chopping people up, throwing them in pots, and eating them? Well, he is being poetic. That's not literal, what he's talking about here. And he's applying this once again to the rulers of Israel. And he's saying how they are ripping off and they are spiritually cannibalizing the people for their own benefit, getting as much money as they possibly can. So he's not being literal, but he's using it poetically. But that being said, it is so easy for us to say, yeah, Lord, get them, those bad politicians, those bad guys. I want to be crystal clear in this sermon, we're going to be taking two parallel paths. One is going to be what we call exegesis. We're going to talk about the commentary in its context historically. And then the other, we're going to apply it to ourselves, and we're going to be putting ourselves into different places in this chapter. And I want to try and do the best I can to jump back and forth. In doing so, I want you to know that in this chapter, there's three audiences. The first is going to be to the rulers of Israel, to the priestly rulers. The second is going to be to the false prophets. And then the third is going to be to the leaders, the princes. I'm just going to lump them all into the sake of clarity. For the sake of clarity, lump them all into the rulers of Israel and the leaders. But you'll hear me kind of go back and forth between them. Now, that being said, in understanding its context, I want to flip right away to our personal application. 
And that is this. It is, it is so easy for us to be in Micah chapter 3. This is all about judgment. And it's so easy for us to say, sick them, Lord. They deserve it. Get them. Get them. Punish them. And sometimes as Christians, we have the same mentality in our world today. But I want you to see something from the text here. It says about these heads of Jacob, these rulers of Israel, in verse 2, that you hate good and you love evil. Yeah, the bad guys. Until you realize that we should put ourselves in the shoes of the rulers of Israel. We are the bad guys. You know, we may not be a president or a senator. You may not be in a corporation. You may not be a manager or a leader. But left to yourself... You live your whole life with you as the main character. Everything revolves around you, your feelings, and you would, left to yourself, rip off anyone to get a little bit ahead. I mean, Jesus tells us that if we even look at a woman to lust after her, we've committed adultery. He tells us that if we're even angry, we commit murder. And so if we roll it all the way back to the core of our being, we realize that we love evil over good. That's our fallen nature. That's who we are. No one seeks after God. We have hardened hearts. And so we can immediately change Micah chapter 3 to the, oh yeah, sick them again, Lord, get those bad guys, until we realize that we are the bad guys. And we're going to apply this throughout this chapter as we change our viewpoint. Well, as good Bible students, you're going to be like, well, you need to give us some evidence here. You just call me a bad guy. You You best back that up. Well, in Romans chapter 2, verse 5, it says, But in accordance with your hardness, your, you, and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patience continuance in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Well, we see that here. We have the benefit going back to 720 B.C. and the separation of Israel and Judah and being in Micah's day and seeing the false prophets, seeing the idol worship, seeing the rulers and those in authority just ripping people off. And we have the same mentality to say, get them, Lord, your righteous judgment, take them out, set all things well, until you realize you're calling that upon yourself. Because you hate good and love evil apart from Christ. Apart from Christ. Now, there's a few real Bible scholars in here. That's a diss because we're all Bible students, right? You should have been like, boo. I'm not a Calvinist. But the scripture is very, very clear. No man seeks after God. No, not one. No person left to themselves wants to be redeemed or to be brought back into a relationship with God. We're not seeking after Him. We're not looking to Him. We're not trying to please Him. We're living for ourselves. Every single one of us. And we are capable of great evil. And the problem is that apart from Christ, we like it. And that's why when it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. 
Their throat is an open tomb. With their throats, with their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. That's a snake. Whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You realize that in the Greek, all, there, every means every person on the planet, every single one. And so we're just flipping this thing right on its head. And in Micah chapter 3 just changed. We just went, we just went down a one-way street the wrong way and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't right. We were talking about them. We're not, why are we talking about us all of a sudden? Until you put yourself under the spiritual microscope and you realize that we got it backwards, that this judgment is heaped up against us and that left to ourselves, we are the cannibals here that want to devour our spouse or devour the people around us or devour resources, and we want all this thing on us, on us. Give it to me. Give it to me at the expense of others. And we don't fear God. Again, apart from Christ. I say all this to say what we're going to say in verse 4, because verse 4 should be more terrifying than any judgment, any disaster, It should be more terrifying than any amount of pain and suffering. In verse 4, it says, Then they will cry to the Lord, but He will not hear them. He will even hide His face from them at that time, because they have been evil in their deeds. What he's saying is the rulers of Israel and Judah, they are thinking they're winning. They're thinking that God's blessing them. They're thinking that they're awesome. They're rich. They're powerful. People are listening to them. They sound great. But Assyria is going to come down from the north and is going to wipe out Israel, going to take them all captive. He's going to destroy every home, every village, every town, and he's going to enslave every family and take them back to their land. And these rulers, these priests, these false prophets are all going to go, Oh, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Forgive us. And they're not going to cry out for repentance. They're going to cry out for mercy. And God's not going to listen. He's going to be silent. That is terrifying. And then we have to ask ourselves this. Why does God listen to us? I mean, you could easily say, yeah, Mike, you said no man seeks after God. We're all here in church. We're just singing praises. You know, of course. But what makes you think that God is listening to you? Knowing your evil heart. Knowing your sin nature. Knowing your flesh. Knowing the things... That happened to you. I mean, I make a joke out of it all the time, but it is true. The second I leave here and I try and cross out of Riverwalk and somebody speeds up because they see I'm trying to cross, I'm going to be angry at that brother in my head. And Jesus says that's murder. And so I will be a murderer before I even leave this place. Why does God want to listen to me? I don't even seek him out. I don't want him in my life apart from Christ, of course. We are lost, detached from the Creator, from life itself, apart from Christ. You see, in chapter 3, Micah doesn't talk about it. But for the rest of his book, for the rest of his prophecies, he's going to begin to talk about the light of Israel. He's going to begin to talk about the Messiah. But I think it's so important for us not to just go through this chapter and say, Get him, Lord. Get him, Lord. 
We should leave here saying, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. You see, all those things are true about me and you except for Christ. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Apart from Christ, he's not listening to us. He doesn't, he can't, he's not going to look at us. We're not looking for him. We're not seeking. But he so loved the world that he gave his son. And he seeks after us, not the other way around. He comes to us and he gave us his righteousness because we have none. We have none. The Lord's righteousness. These rulers are not going to repent and God's judgment will come upon them. The same judgment that would come upon us, except for Christ, gave himself and gave us his righteousness. You know, sometimes we approach scriptures like this or judges on Wednesdays and we see a cycle. Keep the rules or God's going to judge you. Keep the rules or God's going to judge you. Oh man, he's going to judge you hard. And it it pains me to know that there are many non-believers, if not all, and some Christians that believe that that's what Christianity is. That's what our relationship with God is. Keep the rules or he's going to smite you. So you better keep them good until you realize that none of us have kept any of the rules. And we can't. And that's we don't come to Him on our righteousness. We don't come to Him on the things that we do. We don't come here and say, well, you know, Lord, I really worshiped really hard for about 20 minutes, so you better give me a good message now. I earned it. No, we come with our hands raised because we are covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God gave us access to Him, and we earn nothing. It's in spite of us. And this is going to be so important as we continue. But imagine the Lord being silent, disconnected from the Creator, in the midst of people speaking for the Creator. They say they are prophets. They say they are priests. The temple was full of people that were ripping off the people. We would say in the church that was happening. Well, there's nothing new. This is the same today. I said that 720 B.C. is not so different from the 21st century. Let's read verses 5 through 7 together where it says, Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him, who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore you shall have night without vision, and you shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. So the seers shall be ashamed, and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God." Now, let's go back to the uh, original context of what Mike is talking about here, because it doesn't really make much sense to us. Again, I'm heaping rulers of Israel and Jacob, remember, one big bunch, but he's speaking specifically to false prophets. They say they speak for God. So if you're living in that day, these people are walking around, they're highly paid, they're paid by the rulers and the princes and the priests. And notice, they're speaking peace. They, this is their great flowery language. God's always going to bless Israel. God's going to bless Judah. Everything's going to be great. Our rulers are great. We are in a great nation. This is the best nation on the face of the earth. 720 B.C. Now, remember, we're back there in Mr. Peabody's time machine. 
because I know it's so close, you want to connect it. And they're saying all these wonderful things, but they're in the context, what Micah's saying, he's using that same poetry. In verse 6, therefore you shall have night without vision. What does that mean? Well, when you were getting these visions from God, these dreams, dreams happen at night while you're sleeping. So he's saying you're going to go to bed at night and you're not going to see anything at night. And you shall have darkness without divination. You can't conjure these things up. These times that you would normally say you were seeing these things, you're not going to have them. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be dark for them. And the seers shall be ashamed. Ashamed when? And the diviners abashed. What are they talking about? When Assyria comes and wipes out Israel, everyone's going to know they're false prophets. But it's not until then. No one's going to know they're false prophets. If you stood Micah up and Amos up and Jeremiah up, prophets all that time, against all the false prophets, they'll look the same. They'll both say they're speaking for God. But some are speaking for God and some are not. How do we know? How do we know this? Because what they said happened or it didn't. And they will be ashamed because all the things that they said were happening didn't happen. One commentator pointed out, and I'm, I want to believe them, and I think it's plausible, that not only were these false prophets, they weren't just faking it, they were given false visions. False visions. Lying spirits. The Bible tells in the New Testament to be careful and detest the spirits. And I think, wow, you know what? I think that is very plausible. So how did that happen? Well, we know that the enemy transforms himself as an angel of light. But what it comes down to then, when we jump to the 21st century, is how do we know from what well to drink? What spiritual thing to get from? What is truth in our life? Where do we get it from? Is this a bunch of laws and rules and we're just trying to walk away from God's judgment and not get smited by the almighty smiter? Or do we have a personal relationship with the Creator and how do I know? We've got to go back to the very beginning. You see, Thomas had a very similar question, although I candidly am taking it out of context. So I, you know, I want you to know it's out of context, but it still applies. You see, Jesus was talking about his crucifixion and resurrection, and they didn't understand what he was talking about. And so Thomas asked a question, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And that's our question today. How can we know what is true and what is not? How can we know where to go? Lord, you know our hearts. We're deceitfully wicked. Who can know our hearts? You know that left to ourselves, we're going to do terrible things. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As Christians, we focus on the way. He is the way of salvation. We know the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. What we don't often focus on is He is the truth. He is the Logos. He is all truth in manifested in Jesus. If we want to know what's true, if we want to have ourselves revealed, our wickedness and our righteousness that is in Him, it comes by being with the Messiah, with Jesus, our Savior. He doesn't just save us from hell. He saves us to life because He is life. He is the life. And we need a personal relationship with Him. We need His righteousness. Otherwise, God is silent. He, doesn't, he won't speak to us. 
And it's not that we're seeking after him and we're groping to God and he's saying, no, apart from Jesus, we're not even trying to get to God. We hide from God the same way that Adam and Eve hid in the bushes. But God comes to us through the Lord, through his forgiveness, through his love, through his graciousness. But remember that God is holy and righteous and just, and we deserve the same condemnation and judgment. And so why doesn't he if he's so righteous? Because he took it upon his son. He paid that penalty upon himself so that we could be redeemed. Now we're going to change our viewpoint. Remember up to this point, we've been the rulers and we've been the lying priests. So let's put ourselves in some new sandals. Let's put ourselves in Micah's shoes because if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can say what Micah says in verse 8. This is what he says. But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Read that again. Read it again. I am full of power by the Spirit of Lord, of the Lord, and of justice and might. You can say that about yourself. Here, this morning, in your chair. The, the saddest thing that I have when I'm in the world and I'm speaking to someone who's a non-believer, I'm speaking to them, they look at me with pity. Why do they look at me with pity? Because they think I'm under a bunch of rules. They think that I'm enslaved to my faith. They think that I'm the one who's restricted. They think that I'm the one that's being put down. They have no idea. Nothing could be further from the truth. And they had societal issues in 700 B.C. They have societal issues today. And the church, by and large, and we're lecturing the world, you need to get yourself cleaned up. You need to do things right. This is crazy. This is, you know, men are men and women are women. And the whole society, you've lost your minds. You just need to shape up. The whole reason I just went through this whole exercise with you is to tell you this. They are enslaved. They're not seeking after God. They can't. Even if they wanted to, they can't. And we're there lecturing them, oh, you better shape up or you're going to get judged. And then we forget we are them. There's nothing new. There's nothing different. We are them. But we can rejoice because we put on Christ's righteousness. He fills us with the Holy Spirit because He covers us with His blood. And only by seeking after Him, the way, the truth, and the life, can we be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are full of the power of the Spirit. And that's why you're here this morning, I hope. That's why you raised your hands in worship, because the Spirit of God is working in you and He's drawing you to Himself. And we have to yield to that Spirit. We don't come to here on our own righteousness. Man, I've really earned it today. I've really earned it today, Lord. You owe me. We come here as debtors. We say, Lord, I can't believe the work that you're doing in my life that I would, that I would pray and seek after you. I'm under no rules. I'm under no law. I can do whatever I want. Jesus said, he who set, he sets free is free indeed. I choose to submit myself to the Lord, and I wrestle, and I struggle, and I fight the same way that Paul did, as he explains in the book of Romans, wrestling against the flesh and the blood, wrestling against the spirit that God has implanted in me and my old man, wrestling, that fight, that tension. But I can say what Micah says because of the glory of God and not in me. 
I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. And we know that the Spirit of God brings life in us. In John chapter 6, verse 63, it says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. They, the world looks at me with pity and criticism, and yet they don't have life. And we're lecturing them. And the best way I can give it an analogy is this. You know, we can tell them about freedom the same way that Abraham Lincoln and made the, proclama- the Emancipation Proclamation. The Emancipation Proclamation freed zero slaves. Zero. Why? Because they were under the power of the Confederacy. All the slaves were under the power of the Confederacy. And so when the Emancipation Proclamation was written and was signed, none of them got freed. How did they get freed? The Union Army came into the South and physically liberated all the slaves. And so when we go to the world and we tell them, you need to be different, you need to change, things are a different way, and they're like, what? look at these chains. Have mercy on them. They need the gospel. They need a redeemer. They need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can change all the laws in this country that you want, but it won't mean a single thing if our flesh is still in control. But if the Holy Spirit changes souls and people are born again, it won't matter what laws are on the books because we will desire and hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're going about it backwards. And we're going to the world and we're saying, Judgment is coming. You need to repent. And I'm here to tell you, they can't unless the power of Jesus Christ comes into their life and physically liberates them through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I am guilty like the rich young rulers. I am guilty like the false prophets. I am guilty like the princes. But I am like Micah because of Jesus Christ. He has filled me with His Spirit. And now I live life more abundantly. I can't imagine living life without a personal relationship with the Creator God through Jesus Christ. And I only have access to Him through Jesus because He is the way. I am broken, and yet I am reborn. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. You know, you, you can go through Micah chapter 3 and read it on its own, out of context, and be like, yep, God's a smitey smiter. They deserved it, and he's going to whack them all. Until you put yourself in the position, you're like, oh, my gosh. The penalty for our sins. You ever think that God doesn't have a side? God doesn't have a side. We say, oh, God is on my side. We sing that song. no. God is not on our side. God is God. He is everything. Everything exists because of Him. We either repent or we're in rebellion. That's it. And we say, oh, they're on the enemy's side. No, they're just slaves to sin. Oh, we're on the good side. No, we're just redeemed by the Lord. You think it's because we are so smart that we chose salvation? We simply yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. And we need to share this relationship and this this understanding of Jesus and this indwelling of the Holy Spirit and carry His Spirit into the world. And then we can say what Micah says here. Because we're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, because we're filled with the power of God, 
we can declare the justice of might. We can declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. We can go to the world and say, you are enslaved. Here's the key to unlock the chains. The same key unlocked mine. Instead, instead we're going to the world and we're trying to tell them to change sides, switch uniforms. We're telling them, that's the bad team, get on the good team. No. No, we're either in rebellion or we're being redeemed by the Lord. Now you got verses 9 through 12 where it says, Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, the rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity. Her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay. And her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord coming among us? Is not the Lord among us? Excuse me. No harm can come to us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins. And the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. Now these things are going to happen. And that's how we know that Micah is speaking the truth of God. Let's come back to its original context and its original language. Every single thing that Micah says is going to happen, happens. And it is devastating. And Israel and Judah are both wiped off the face of the earth. The tribes are taken into captivity. The ground is fallow. Jerusalem is eventually emptied, although it will be another century until Judah is taken. And it's over. God's experiment with Israel ends. Of course it doesn't. Of course it doesn't. Now he brings Israel out of the grave. He brings Israel out of captivity and brings them back into the land 70 years later after Judah's taken to captivity. And they rebuild the temple. And they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And then there's more millennia of history that happens. And then we're going to see in a, just a couple chapters here in the prophet Micah, our Savior will be born in Bethlehem in a rebuilt and redeemed Jerusalem, the same way that he rose Jesus from the grave. Because we are a brood of vipers, the way that Jesus called out the Pharisees. We are false prophets. We are wicked. We see, look to ourselves. We are selfish. We are ambitious. Self-seeking. Oh, you don't believe me. How many of you cheated on your taxes to get a little extra money back? Nobody? Nobody will tell a white lie to make yourself look good in an interview? Oh, that's different. No, it's not different. You're just, just, you're just showing off who you are. And yet Christ has redeemed us. And he brings us from the grave. He brings us from captivity. He releases us. And not only does he do that, he fills you with his Holy Spirit and he gives you a new nature. No, it's just not rules and judgment. And no, the world can pity me all they want. But in the end, just like Micah, our Lord will come through and we will be proven right. And we will cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And we will know that it is not our righteousness that saved us. We will know it is not our good works. We will know that we didn't do a single thing, that every good and perfect gift comes from above, that the Lord in His righteousness gave His Son that we could be saved. And that as you leave these doors today, I pray that you are spiritually connected to God, that you can discern between right and wrong and evil and good because of your personal relationship 
with our Creator God through Jesus Christ, that you don't have a religion of rules, that you're not enslaved to standards that are not God's standards, but that you leave here loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, knowing that you carry His righteousness, His blood, He's covered you, because He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your forgiveness. We thank You for the work that You're doing in each and every one of us. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to share this relationship with others, and we pray that you would open their eyes, that they would not kick against the goads. I pray that you would keep us from false prophets, that you would keep us discerning those that are teaching things in error, and that we would represent you well. And we know you can only do that through your spirit, Lord, because left to ourselves, we will choose wrongly. But we thank you, Lord, that you've empowered us and filled us with the spirit this morning. We pray that we would leave here with a greater understanding of who you are and a fresh filling to share it with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you need prayer coming up, we'd love to pray with you. There'll be brothers and sisters available to speak with you. God bless you and have a wonderful week.